Have you ever had that moment where all you wanted was for someone to remember you, but they didn't? You ever had that moment? Like you thought we waited by the phone forever, or um, you wanted the company that promised to call you back to call you back? Well, I spent the entire summer of the year 2000 in Philadelphia. Shauna and I spent our college and even our uh, graduate school days working at camps in the summer. And in 2000, she and I were engaged to each other. And here's what the organization did. I don't know. They, they didn't want us, you know, they, they wanted to keep us separated. So what they did, they sent me to Philadelphia and Shauna to California. They had lots of spots that were much closer, not that it would have mattered, um, but those days are full, and so she would get off at 11 p.m. on the West Coast. It would be 2 a.m. on the East Coast. You, you have friends on the East Coast that call you before you wake up in the morning. Anybody else? My father-in-law, this is a little bit brave of me now. We've been married 13 years, and he sent me a text at 6 a.m. the other day wanting to know if, he, if I could give him a recommendation for something. To which I said to him, as soon as the sun comes up, I'll be sure to do it. Um, but we've been married 13 years, so we're, we're, it's okay. Like, he didn't disown me, and um, he didn't disown his daughter. Um, but that particular summer, it was wild. And so I remember once my summer ended a little bit earlier than Shauna's, she was working the same kind of camp out here in California. Um, I flew out of California to be, uh, to be with her uh, for a few days. And, and after that, I, I went back to where I had come from, and I drove to see my parents. Now, I'd been gone all summer, and you may not know this about your pastor, but I'm a bit nostalgic. Anybody else, just to be honest, especially guys, help me. Ladies, I know, but guys, um, nostalgic, like you, the tune plays. And uh, I was thinking boys to men earlier today. It's so hard to say goodbye. Uh, you'll, t- you'll know why later, but um, it's a great song, uh, especially if you're into karaoke. Um, and so, I was going home to see my parents. My dad's in the room, so I've got to be careful how I illustrate this. But, um, and I thought for sure, like, they missed me as much as I missed them. We were going to have this mini reunion of sorts. And so I'm driving home. I, I, what's the marker for you? Like, when you think about your childhood home, if you had one that you were at mostly, what's the marker that you knew you were kind of getting close? Anybody, like a marker, there was a store or a something? A golf course. This is just bragging. Uh, a golf course. Yeah, every time I passed hole 10, I knew my house was right behind it. Um, for us, it was the train tracks, and the, and, and, uh, which was awesome. Uh, but so, you know, over the train track, first left on Shady Lane, sixth house on the left, and uh, drove up and just waiting to be hugged. I'm surprised I didn't have a sign, just to be honest. Um, waiting to be loved on by my parents. I had two siblings that were at home still then, younger siblings. And, and uh, I go in, and they're not there. Now, I, to be honest, I didn't have a cell phone back then. Hard to believe. Uh, the year 2000, I didn't have a cell phone. Um, and if I did have one, I certainly wasn't allowed just to make random calls with it, right? It was expensive. Um, and so I go inside, and not only had they forgotten me and they were gone, but they had already eaten dinner. It was early. If I, based on, again, my, I'm a little cloudy up here. But based on what I remember, it was early. And then I knew for sure that they had forgotten me when I saw what they had had for dinner. I don't know if any of you grew up with this. I don't know if any of you still eat this, but I was a picky eater back in the day. I've really branched out in San Francisco, so I can be real honest about that. But when I saw what was left on the stove, I knew there's no way they remembered I was coming home because it was, have you heard of this? Hamburger helper. (laughs) Anybody? Now, I could eat it today. In fact, I probably should go buy some. Um, But hamburger helper, I thought, mom and dad, they forgot about me. They completely forgot about me. Now, to be truthful, uh, they did not forget about me, but some of you in your lives, you have felt like people have forgotten you. And that's really what we're going to go after today. That's kind of the theme for the When Life Crashes, because here's, here, here's what I, I know. There, there are times for some of you, you care deeply about another person, um, and not only did they get rid of you in the relationship, they begin to act like you didn't even exist anymore. 
have that moment. Or maybe you heard that you were a finalist for a job. And what the person interviewing you said, like, hey, you're a finalist for the job. And just so you know, um, we're going to make a decision this week. And no matter how we go, we're going to call you regardless. You ever had that? Still waiting on that phone call? Like, sure you are. Like, you didn't even get the rejection email, right? Um, or, or maybe you had a friend and you were really close, spent a lot of time with this friend. And for who knows what reason, they no longer have time for you. And while I think when life crashes, it does so in a variety of ways, certainly when someone does something terrible to you, that is a bad crash. But what may be worse than someone doing something mean to you is someone actually pretending like you no longer exist, right? It's one thing to be hated. It's quite another thing to be forgotten. When we left Joseph's story last time, he had been hated. He had been hated by his brothers. Uh, Don't raise your hand if you're in that camp this morning. He had been hated by his brothers, um, so much so that they wanted to kill him. Instead, they decide to sell him to some Midianite traders. The traders take him to Egypt. So if you wonder, how does this Hebrew Joseph get to Egypt? He's sold by his brothers. Um, And when it's not bad enough to be sold one time, he gets sold twice to a guy named Potiphar. Potiphar is captain of the guard under Pharaoh. Joseph has now been sold twice. His brothers go back to his dad, report that wild animals have devoured him. And then, I don't know, it just sounds like a bad picture. And so he's thinking animals have taken care of him. He now is working for Potiphar. He's a slave under Potiphar's leadership. And I guess this is possible. He climbs the ladder where he's the chief slave in the house. Okay, you you got to aim for something, right? And so he becomes um, slave number one. Potiphar trusts him. He sees that he's successful. He gets favor in Potiphar's eyes. And then one day, being trusted with everything under Potiphar's care, one day, um, Joseph is accused of doing something inappropriate with Potiphar's wife. And as all of us men would react, he's not very happy with Joseph because he believes his wife. Um, and, and, his, and Potiphar throws Joseph into prison. Well, while he's in prison, again, he, he, he really has a, a knack for being at the top of the chain on a really low chain, all right? He, he becomes top dog in prison, which I guess is something that can go on a resume. Like, yeah, I have a record. No, I didn't pass the background check, but I was awesome in prison, all right? So hire me. Um, and that's kind of his resume, to be honest. Well, what happens while he's in prison is um, Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, so the person who, like the chief, I guess you have multiple cupbearers, but he's the chief cupbearer and his chief baker, they do something to upset Pharaoh, okay? Now, what do you think, what does a chief cupbearer do to make his boss that mad? He gives him the bad stuff, I'm, I'm assuming, right? He, here's, it looks like it's the good stuff. And then as a connoisseur of donuts, I know what the baker did wrong. Absolutely. He gave him a day-old donut. That doesn't work. Um, or he filled it with something that, we, you know, he's a custard guy and the guy filled it with lemon. I don't know. But I can understand as a donut lover um, how that could go bad for the baker. Well, it goes bad for the baker and the cupbearer. They both get thrown into the prison where the other king's prisoners are, including Joseph. While they're there, they each have a dream. Really kind of bizarre dreams, but they have a, not as bizarre as it's going to get, but they have a dream. And they're a bit distraught because they don't know what their dreams mean. And Joseph is saying to them, why are you guys so downcast? To which their response is, "Um, we've had dreams, but we don't know what they mean. And there's no one to interpret those dreams. So Joseph says to them, tell me your dreams and I'll interpret them for you. So I want us to pick up there this morning. If you need a Bible, would you raise your hand? We have plenty for you. You need a Bible, raise your hand. And just so you know, for future weeks, we have artist circle seats up here that are, you've got leg room, right? I mean, a lot of leg room. Nobody's in front of you. You don't have to worry about the tall people seeing the screen. We got great seats right here, okay? I'm not a spitter most days. So if you ever want the gold circle seats, 
right here. Keep your hands up for those Bibles. We will be in Genesis chapter 40. If you have one of those Bibles, we're on page 22. The rest of us, Genesis is where the Bible kicks off. And we're in chapter 40. We'll start in verse 9. Would you all stand with me? So glad that you're here this morning. I hope today will be a blessing. I hope that wherever you're at in life, um, my prayer has been leading up to today that God would somehow speak to you. Even if you don't believe he does that kind of thing still today. I I hope that something will just sort of hit you and you'll be like, wow, that was a moment for me. I understood something that has been unclear before. So here's the interpretation that Joseph gives them as they tell his dreams. Chapter 40, verses 9 through 15. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, This is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. You may be seated. For the sake of time, I just want to let you know that's that's what happens with with uh, Joseph interpreting the cupbearer's dream. And so he tells the cupbearer, the cupbearer is like, I don't understand this. This seems really clear to me, right? Like, this is not one of the bizarre ones. Just wait till next week. Really bizarre dream next week. Um, and, and Joseph is interpreting all kinds of dreams. And, and, uh, but, but the cupbearer says, I had this dream where I pressed grapes and then handed the cup to Pharaoh. That seems pretty obvious to me. Right? Or maybe he's like, have you ever had those days where you thought about something all day? So, of course, in your dreams, what happened? Right? And probably the worst, imagine, like the worst thing you can imagine about the thing you thought about all day. Well, this is what happens to the cupbearer. And so he wants Joseph to interpret it, and he hears the interpretation. Now, for the sake of time, I'm not going to let you hear how the baker's dream gets interpreted, but it goes bad for the baker. Joseph says to the cupbearer, hey, just so you know, the branches equal three days. So three days from now, you don't have a long wait. You're going to be restored to Pharaoh. To the baker, you talk about a life-crashing moment. To the baker, he says, in three days, you're going to be hanged. That's kind of a life-crashing moment, right, if anything is. Uh, and so it goes, it's going to go bad for the baker. But for the cupbearer, it's going to go really good. And then Joseph says to him, verse 14, he, he gives him, he's like, there's just one thing I want you to do. Like, if you don't do anything else, just do this one thing. I'm glad to have interpreted your dream. Um, it's sort of payback for me. To me, would you do this one thing? Here's what he says to him, this short three-word phrase. Only remember me. That's all I want you to do. When when Pharaoh puts you back into your position, just remember me. Remember this moment. Remember that I helped you out. You're going to have good things in your future. And when you get restored three days from now, please don't forget me. Just remember me. Here's some ways you can remember me. Be kind to me. Mention me to Pharaoh. Let him know I need to get out of this house. I've been stolen and I've done nothing wrong. You hear that? Only remember me. That's all I want. Just remember me. Well, let's see in verses 20 through 23, if the cupbearer, certainly he's going to remember, right? Because we always remember when people do nice things for us, don't we? Never forget. Here we go. 20 through 23. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, 
just, just reading into this text a little bit, Pharaoh knows the birthday party's coming. He's got to have the best wine. Cup bearer, get in here, all right? So three days later, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cup bearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cup bearer to his position and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand, just as Joseph had said. Verse 22, but he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Joseph makes one plea, doesn't he? Like, hey, um, remember me. That's all I want you to do. I'm not asking to go back to where my brothers and my father are. I'm not asking for all of these things. I just want you to remember me. Would you just mention me to Pharaoh? I'm not here in prison because I got something I deserve. I didn't do any of this. Would you just remember me? That's all Joseph wants. He just wants to be remembered. And yet verse 23 says, yet the chief cupbearer did not do the one thing he wanted. He did not remember Joseph but forgot him. Is there anything worse in life than being forgotten? Now we can all kind of compare stories, but there may not be anything worse than being forgotten. It's one thing to know that you hate me. It's another thing that you think I don't exist or you pretend like I don't exist. So, so we've had these experiences. Someone you care deeply about, they didn't just break up with you, but they never talked to you again. Forgotten. Some of you, you worked for a company for many good years. And not only did they let you go, but they didn't even thank you. It's like they didn't even remember you were ever there. You ever had that? And then the hard heart kind of stuff. Some of you have parents who were, be, who were supposed to be the ones who would love you the most, support you the most, provide for you the most. And let's be honest, it really seems like they've forgotten you too. Some of you um, in the room who have older kids, they're kind of playing the forgotten card with you right now. You put them through college, you were there for their wedding, you paid for it, and now it's like, ah, uh, who are you? Some of you used to be a part of a church community. You were deeply woven into the fabric of the church. Maybe you were even on a leadership team or something like that. You were intricately involved there, and now it's like you were never, ever apart. They forgot you. And let's be honest. In this city, this idea of being forgotten, though you're in the midst of tons of people, maybe that idea reigns more here than other places. How many of you have lived in San Francisco or the Bay Area less than two years? Let's look around so you guys get a sense of this. Less than five years. You know if you're less than two years, that means you're less than five years too, right? I mean, it's not, I know it's early, but 930 got it. Let's be honest. Where you came from, you were known. Some of you were the stuff, right? No one could do what you did in your industry where you came from. Some of you had lived in those places for many years. Some of you were at the top of the org chart in your company. Some of you were involved in church leadership, and now you're here, and you're just like, man, nobody knows me. Nobody knows me because now there are a million people that can do what you do in your industry, right? How are you going to stand out? Sometimes it's best to be number one on a bad team, right? Let's just be honest. Sometimes it's best to be number one on a bad team if you want to be remembered. But you live here now. There's people everywhere. There's over 16,000 people per square mile in the city. 
How do you stand out? How, how, do, you, how, how do you become come to be remembered? How do you make sure that you won't be forgotten? One thing our staff talks about all the time is there's this attrition rate in the city. How do we reverse some of this? And how do we use it to say to people, get deeply attached to one another? You want to know why we value community so much here at Epic? It's not simply so we can sit in a staff meeting and say, it's great that we have 100% of our weekly attendance in small groups. That's a big win for us. But you know why the value is so high? It's because we believe one of the most tangible reminders that we haven't been forgotten is to do life intricately together. So when you sit among 10 or 12 or 15 people and you're sharing your heartaches and you're sharing what you did this weekend and what you want to do and you're sharing celebration and you're, and you're struggling through things at times together and you're praying together, um, it's, it's this visible, tangible reminder that I'm not in this alone and I haven't been forgotten, not by God and not by people. It's why we do this thing that maybe you've heard in the church world is called evangelism, but here's how I would just say it. It's why we invite people into this. Now this morning you're thinking, where would they sit? We'll figure that out. That's why we invite people into this. How many hundreds of thousands of people are there in San Francisco right now that are on their way out because they haven't found anything to attach to? And without attachment, the rent's not worth it, is it? It may not be worth it anyway, but it certainly isn't worth it without attachment. But we want to be this tangible, this community. This isn't an individualistic thing. This is very much a we're together to declare to one another and to our city and our world that God hasn't forgotten us. When I feel forgotten, but I sit down at the table with you, guess what instantly changes? I'm not forgotten. When it feels like I'm alone or you think you're alone, we, we, we just say, hey, here's where I'm at. My life has crashed, but I'm not forgotten. And I think God does that through us to one another. And certainly he does it himself whenever people aren't that great reminder to us. We all know this, right? We all have an inherent need to be loved. You know that, right? But that's not the only inherent need that you and I have. We also have this inherent need to be known and to be remembered. Right? And to be like, no, not me, Ben. I'm stronger than that. Wait till your best friend forgets your birthday. Till your husband forgets your anniversary. Don't elbow him here. That's not a, it's not a confession time. Right? We all are human. But to be forgotten. Have you ever had, have you ever had that moment where you felt like God actually forgot you? No, Ben, that's not a very spiritual answer. Think about Joseph. No doubt his brothers had forgotten him. How do you know that? Well, because the minute after they throw him into the pit, they're eating their fried chicken, right? They're, 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 they're eating. Like, no, it wasn't really fried chicken. They're eating, okay? He's in the pit. They start eating, which made him have to wonder. I wonder, it's been a number of years now. Has my dad forgotten me too? And if my dad's forgotten me, does that mean that God has forgotten me? Let me let you know why this is a powerful question and likely something that entered into his mind and heart, at least momentarily. Joseph is a Hebrew. He's not an Egyptian. He, he's flying solo as far as the Hebrews, God, uh, God's people, the Israelites, go in Egypt. He, he's the only of his kind as far as what we can tell. He's alone, and he has to be wondering, I'm separated from the people of God. Am I separated from God also? And for us, we've been through things where you wonder. Remember, we want to get to the result of going, no, I know God's always with me, but we're not going to act like we don't walk through um, this kind of decision-making time where we try to understand if that's true. When the relationship crumbles, it makes you feel like you've been forgotten by the person, but maybe by God. When you're no longer the, 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 the big deal in the company, 
I can make you feel forgotten. When you were with a church that started a certain way and then it grows, if we're not careful, people can be forgotten in that too. But if you ever feel like God maybe has forgotten you, I just want you to know that you're not alone. I think Joseph thought this. I've thought this at times. People around you this morning have thought this. And there was a day in which, um, I'm going to give you a text in just a second, but there was a day in which God's people believed that he had forsaken and forgotten him. In fact, the verse before the one I'm going to give you in Isaiah chapter 49, verse 14, let me read it to you just so we, and, and then I'll have the other two on the screen. Isaiah 49, 14 says this. It says, but Zion said, God's people said, the Lord has forsaken me, my Lord has forgotten me. That's the claim, okay? Sound like something familiar maybe from our heart to God at times? God, you have forsaken me. I'm not asking, have you? I'm saying you have, and you've forgotten me. Here's God's response to them and to us in these moments. Here's what God says. Now, only moms can answer this first question, okay? Moms, where are you? Give us, like, if you've ever been a mom or still mom. Can a woman forget her nursing child? Moms say enthusiastically. Okay, it's not a, you don't have to confess that you fell asleep or whatever, but. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? God says, maybe, maybe. Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. 16. How does he not forget? Here's, here, here's how he remembers. This is pretty awesome. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are your boundaries or your life. Your walls are continually before me. Even if the mom that would be so unlikely to forget her child, even if she does, it might happen, if she does, um, know that I'm still 100% in this area. She may forget, I will not forget. God, how will you not forget? Because I created you, because I wove you together in your mother's womb in an intricate way, and because I've engraved you on the palms of my hands. It's the easy way to cheat on a test in school, right? Good access right there. And God's going, no, I've not forgotten. I haven't forgotten at all. Many of you know that Shauna and I and Brad and Mary Kill, Brad, our worship leader, the, each of our two families, we are in the process of adopting both from Asia. Brad and Mary are in the process of adopting from China. Shauna and I are in India in this process. And Friday was a great day for us. We received what's called the Article 5. And the reason that's a big deal is because it's the first official document from India and the U.S. that says um, Benjamin, in case you didn't know, uh, Benjamin and Shauna Pilgreen can legally bring, I won't tell you the name yet, you'll hear it soon, um, can legally bring this little girl um, into their home in the United States of America. So we got that Friday, woke up to that email, which was huge. Um, and you, you ever try to work deals with God? Like, hey, you want something to happen, so you do something that hopefully will make that happen? Well, we decided to go ahead and buy her bed, okay? We're like, oh, God, if we buy the bed, um, certainly this is going to happen. Uh, and so uh, we bought her a bed and some bedding. And you have to understand, we only have boys, so we don't really know how to do this. Um, Shauna has a little more experience being a girl, but... Um, she has a lot more experience being a girl, but I'm saying, you know, I, I like to be involved in these conversations. And so we bought, we bought her bedding this weekend, and, um, and there's so much we're looking forward to. It could be a few months. It could be many months. Who knows how long. Um, but so many things, as you would imagine, we were looking forward to. She'll turn eight in January, and um, no known anything, to be honest. Like, just no family. Anyway. One of the things we're looking forward to most is the moment we see on her face that she realizes she hasn't been forgotten. 
And while that will be a powerful moment, we hope that leads her to an even greater and more powerful moment that she begins to understand who this God is that's been orchestrating everything in her life. You want to talk about life crashing? She left at a train station at the age of five. But the moment she realizes he's not forgotten. He's not forgotten her. It's going to be a powerful, powerful moment. Well, here's what's wild. Jesus himself, moving on, Jesus himself had this sense of what it would be like to be forgotten. You're like, how? Let, let, me, let me take you somewhere in just a moment. Jesus, I don't know how much you know about just the whole crucifixion moment with Jesus where he dies on the cross, but this is towards the end of that time. He doesn't have a lot of breaths left in him, and, and he's, he's declaring something that he's experiencing, something that he's feeling, something that would allow us to know he knows what this is like. And here's what happens in Mark chapter 15, verse 34. It's Jesus is on the cross. It says, And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You're like, whoa, God forsook Jesus? It's exactly what he's feeling in this moment. Here's kind of the theological construct behind that. In this moment, the reason that Jesus felt forsaken by God is because what Jesus is doing on the cross is bearing the weight of our sin. God has not let go of his holiness, and so he can't, there has to be a divide between sin and God's presence. And as Jesus assumes our sin, in fact, here's how Paul would say it in 2 Corinthians 5.21, for God made him who knew no sin, that's Jesus, to become sin for us so that in him we would become the righteousness of God. So the question has to be, why in the world would God forsake Jesus and make him feel this? You want to know why? The reason God would forsake Jesus and make him feel this is so that we wouldn't have to be forsaken forever. The reason Jesus embodies this feeling, it's not like he's, he's not hallucinating. It's, he's feeling it in a very real way. And the reason that he was forsaken in this moment is so that you wouldn't have to be forsaken forever. This is the good news. You're like, oh, why would God do that? God would do that to get you. God would do that so you wouldn't be forgotten. So when you, in the depths of your heart, want to rise up and say, God, remember me, he's going, I have never forgotten. When you feel all alone, when your friends leave you, when your ex-lovers have forgotten you, when the company forgets you, when the church you are part of forgets you, when your institutions forget you, when everyone forgets you. He doesn't, he hasn't, he won't. When you feel like you've been forgotten, last week if you weren't here, go back and listen to the message. There's this big idea that we want to trust what we can't feel in these moments. And you will feel alone. You will feel forgotten. There are people that you and I want to recognize us for whatever reason, and they're not recognizing us. He is. He is. And some of you need to let this just hit in the depths of your heart for the first time in your life. You've never given your life to Christ. You like coming to the church, or you're here at the church for the first time, and what you need to know is that Jesus was forsaken in a moment so that you wouldn't be forsaken forever. I don't think you'll find better news out there on the streets. But this truly happened. It's truly for you. God allowed Jesus to go through this moment so that you wouldn't have to have those moments. When Jesus gave the, what's known as the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, we hit on this a lot. He starts out by saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. But then he finishes with this, and we use it on accent this part, even I don't. But he finishes with this, and lo, I'm with you always, even until the end of the age. So we're telling Jesus, come back. He's saying, I've never left. We're telling God, remember, he's saying, I haven't forgotten. 
But you need to put your trust in Jesus for the very first time ever this morning. And some of you need to be awakened. You are reminded in this moment of this reality. You've sensed it before. Now you need to believe it by faith, not by feeling, by faith. That the God who created you hasn't left you. He hasn't forgotten you. When you say, God, where are you? He says here. When you say, God, did you forget? He says, absolutely not. And some of you need to attach yourself more deeply to this community, not so that I feel better about what's happening at Epic. I'm excited about what's happening in our church, but you need to attach yourself to this community as a visible, tangible reminder that God hasn't forgotten. And then we as a church, with that in mind, we need to go and say individually and collectively to our city, hey, there's a God who hasn't forgotten you. I know what it feels like to wander around the city. I know what it feels like to feel like you've been forgotten in your industry, in a relationship, in your family, but God hasn't forgotten you. That's what we need to sing out to this world. But it starts with us realizing it. It starts with us recognizing it. It starts with us actually buying into the fact that we have a God who's never forgotten. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? All kinds of ways to respond to what we've heard. For some of you, you're hearing about Jesus being forsaken on the cross for the first time ever, and this is news to you. Let me just say again that until he was forsaken, you and I couldn't come close to God in a reconciled relationship. And you need to place your faith in Jesus this morning and would love, just mark that on your card when you have an opportunity or tell um, Pastor Tim or, or any other leader here at Epic. Secondly, we're going to do baptisms, as you heard, the next two Sundays. And some of you have followed Jesus and said you want to declare that with your life and you haven't taken that step yet. We want to offer that invitation to you and... Our small groups have just gotten going, and again, don't do this thing anonymously, and don't do it alone. Can you come in here anonymously? Always. Is it best for you? We don't think so for long. Attach yourself. Have those visible, tangible reminders that God hasn't left you. He hasn't walked down on you. He hasn't forgotten you. God, I thank you for your truth. God, I pray it's something we wouldn't just sense in a service, but that we would sense when we wake up tomorrow or when we get the phone call six months from now or whatever happens, God, you're a God who remembers. And God, you're a God who's present, even when it feels like you're absent. And you're a God who's with us when it feels like we're alone. And you're a, a God who's going to work all things for the good when it seems like bad is our only option. God, would you bring us to a place where we truly buy into who you are, what you've done, and why. Jesus, you were forsaken in a moment so that we wouldn't be forsaken forever. And that's a reality we need to embrace and love this morning. God, come and do something new in our hearts that only you can in Jesus' name. Let's stand and let's respond by worshiping.